Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our study, Why Did Jonah Run? Unpacking the Book of Jonah. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, great to be with you for the final part of Jonah. I can't quite believe that we're at the end already. Um, I know there's been a lot that we've not been able to cover, which is a shame. And today uh, it's called, So What Does That Mean For Me? Because we're going to look at applying this book, uh, you know, in light of what we've looked at about how this is a book about Israel and the Gentiles. And we've kind of clarified why Jonah has got, um, why he gets unfair bad press and what's really going on. Now we're going to, you might ask, well, what relevance does that have for me? So we're going to look at that. Now, as I always say, the handout is available in the description. And again, as I always say, if you can't get it, message me, email me, whatever you want to do, and I'll send you a copy. But uh, the handout's a little bit, it's the first time it's spilled onto two pages today, because even though I think we're going to cover the same amount of stuff, it took a bit more. I wanted to note down a few more things. So... As I say, today we're going to look at applying the book of Jonah. And in order to do that, in order to work out how we apply it, we need to see how it's used in the New Testament to see, because as I've said in previous uh, parts, the book of Jonah is never quoted in the New Testament, but it is all over the story of the New Testament. So we're going to look at two places in uh, specifically. Well, two books, but multiple places. So we're going to look in the book of Acts, and we're going to look in Romans. So first, let's um, check out the book of Acts. So there's two places we're going to go, or two people we're going to look at in Acts, two characters. And the first one we're going to look at is uh, Peter. And uh, we're going to look at how Peter takes on the story of Jonah. So this is a really important point is if you read through the gospels and then get to Acts, you'll find that Peter has already been introduced as uh, Peter in, in ESV. It says bar Jonah in the, in the NIV, it says son of Jonah or Simon, son of Jonah, which Simon Peter, same person. So Peter has already been introduced to us. His dad's name is Jonah. So he gets called son of Jonah which is very, very interesting because of what we're going to look at now. So if you go to Acts 10, um, where we find this Peter, son of Jonah, he is in Joppa, which might ring some bells for where Jonah ran to, to get away to Tarshish. But before we can really unpack Acts chapter 10, we want to understand what is the, um, what's gone on so far in the story of Acts, because Acts is uh, well known for being a narrative. It's, it's a story that is ties different things together to give you one story. It's a very interesting book. But what have we seen so far in Acts, which has led us to Acts 10? Well, if you've read through Acts before, then you'll know about Acts 7, where Stephen, the apostle, um, preaches before the Sanhedrin. He preaches before 
the Jewish council. And he kind of re, he goes through the whole history of Israel about how every time God sent prophets, they um, rejected the prophets. They rejected what they had to say. He basically gives them one lecture in how Israel has been so unfaithful throughout their history. And now when the prophet par excellence, when the son of God himself has come, they reject him just as they reject all the other prophets. So he says, you stiff-necked people. So that's Acts 7. And afterwards, they kill him. You know, he's, he's stoned. The first martyr, uh, I think. Yeah, I think, I think pretty sure after Jesus, Stephen is the first martyr for the faith killed by the Jewish council. Now, bear in mind, the Sanhedrin aren't just a couple of influential Jews. They are the Jewish council. They are like the government. So it's a big deal that those who represent the Jewish um, power have now killed someone who is faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Now, if you go on from Acts 7, you find story after story of Jewish rejection and Gentile acceptance of the gospel. It seems that as the Jews are rejecting their Messiah, the one who was destined to come to them, Gentiles who have no background in God are coming to hear him, coming to hear more about him, more about this Messiah, which is really quite an interesting scenario because it's not what you'd expect given the Old Testament um, emphasis on Israel. So um, that is where we are in Acts 10. So when we start Acts 10, um, we find Peter, as I say, in Joppa, the same place, when he's called to go to Cornelius, the centurion. So we, we find about we find out that, that, that Cornelius has heard from God that there's this man called Peter who he needs to call and bring to himself. And then later on we read that Peter has a vision. I mean, I won't go into this too much, but it's very interesting. The way that God tells him that it's okay to go to the Gentiles is by telling him you can eat unclean food. It's very, very interesting how tightly bound up the link is between unclean food and unclean people. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that too much, but that's just a very interesting way. Peter knows that it means something, that God's saying you can eat this unclean food. So Peter then goes from Joppa to the Gentiles. Now that... That is going to bring to mind the story of Jonah, as you know, thousands of commentators have noted before the character from Joppa called to the Gentiles, and they, they go faithfully. So Peter is different from Jonah in that regard, in that he goes as God instructs him to the Gentiles. After Acts 10, Peter then reports what he's seen to the church. He tells them, and in Acts 11, it says... Uh, that the Jews who heard it criticized him and said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And as you carry on from Acts 10 onwards, you find that the persecution from the Jews to the Christians keeps increasing. It was the, the movement from, uh, well, the, from Peter going to the Gentiles onwards, it just gets worse for the Christians. Um, the Jews are now increasing their... Uh, persecution of Christians, of Gentiles and Jews who are accepting it. And so what you have here throughout the book of Acts and with what Peter's narrative here in Acts 10 
you know, taking on the character of Jonah, son of Jonah, who's called from Joppa to go to the Gentiles, and this time he faithfully goes and does it, is Gentile salvation is inherently wrapped up with Israel's rejection of the gospel. The more they reject, the more it goes outwards. You know, it's like a like ricochet. The more it bounces off, it goes elsewhere, and other people accept it. So the reason we see so many Gentiles being saved is because so many Jews aren't accepting the message. Now, the other thing to note is that, as I say, I don't want to get too complicated here, but the apostles all know that judgment on Jerusalem is coming because Jesus told them it's coming. You can open Matthew 24, you can open Luke 21, you can open uh, Mark 13, and they all give a narrative about how Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Um, and it's such strong imagery that sometimes people confuse it as though Jesus is talking about the end of the world, but he isn't. He's talking about Jerusalem being destroyed. And bear in mind, it's Luke that wrote Acts. Luke is, gives some of the clearest language so that we know full well that it is about Jerusalem being destroyed, not about the end of the world. I mean, Luke says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by Gentile armies, then you know that that it's it's coming. So uh, he says, uh, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Luke and and all the other apostles know that judgment on Jerusalem is coming, but they also know when it's coming because Jesus told them when it's coming. Jesus says all these things will take place within a generation. He says this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. You know, and anyone who, any Old Testament, um, or rather any Jew who's familiar with the Old Testament would know that the generation is 40 years. And so in 70 AD, lo and behold, Jesus' prophecy came to pass. Jerusalem was indeed invaded and destroyed. The temple was burned and everything was taken apart. So they know that in 40 years time, this judgment's coming because Jesus has told them it's coming. Now compare that with what Jonah, as we looked at earlier, how there's that 40 year gap between um, Jonah's prophecy and Israel being destroyed. It's again, it's the same thing here. Um, So Peter well, or Luke writing the narrative, who obviously wrote the book of Luke as well, writing about how son of Jonah from Joppa goes to the Gentiles as Israel's unfaithfulness increases, Gentile faithfulness increases, and judgment is coming 40 years later. Lo and behold, it does come. So that's Peter. And I think that's more of a, a minor example. Even with all the details I've said, I still think that's more of a minor example. I want us to look at Paul now. So, Paul is obviously a character that dominates the New Testament quite a lot. We're probably familiar that he wrote most of the letters, and he obviously takes a big part in the Book of Acts as well, with the you know his conversion and then the latter half pretty much being all about him. Um, so let's take a quick look at him. So if you read through the New Testament. You find it said multiple times, and I've put these references on the handout, that um, Paul is the called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. It says it in Acts as well a few times. 
that he is going to go out to the Gentiles, while Peter and James are going to be the apostles to the Jews. But this is what's really interesting. Throughout the book of Acts, Peter, uh, Paul sorry, keeps trying to go back to Jerusalem. So in chapters 19, verse 21, in chapter 20, verse 22, in chapter 21, verse 4, in chapter 21, verse 11, it talks about Paul's desire to go back to Jerusalem. And he's specifically warned multiple times. He says the spirits warned him. You have a prophet come and bind his legs and say, do not go to Jerusalem. He keeps being told, don't go back to Jerusalem. Your mission is to the Gentiles. But he keeps trying to go back. So uh, if I just get a couple of verses here. Um, he says in... He says in 20, verse 22, Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. And then in chapter 21, verse 4, he says, um, he, he talks about, sorry, it says, Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And then later on in verse 11, it says that the prophet Agabus came and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hand of the Gentiles. So he keeps talking about going to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit keeps telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. And he says, I'm happy to die in Jerusalem later on. And this is actually really interesting. I have a friend called Will. And Will, in 2017, completed his dissertation for his PhD on the Book of Acts. And it was about, um, it was called uh, the, the Book of Acts in, something about the kingdom and us being invited into the mission of the kingdom through the Book of Acts. It's really interesting. It's, um, it's great, great read. Um, but one section in it specifically focused on Paul's insistence on going to Jerusalem, despite being called to the Gentiles. Uh, because Paul had this love for his own people. You know, he, he was desperate to see the same revival that he's seeing among the Gentiles back with his own people. You know, these people have never even heard of our God, never even read our scriptures, and yet they are accepting our Messiah. Why are my own people not doing that? I want to see that back home. But this is a really interesting thing. Every time Paul changes his direction from Gentiles to Jews, References to the Holy Spirit drop off. It, it shows a missional decline in Paul's mission. He is not called to go back home. He is called to go abroad. Paul has a real reluctance to let his people or to see his people rot in their unfaithfulness, in their covenant apostasy. It's not that he doesn't like the Gentiles. It's that he loves his own people and wants to see them saved rather than judged because he knows that's what happens with covenant unfaithfulness. And so as you go further through the narrative, um, in Acts 27, you see Paul in a shipwreck and it includes so many references in that chapter to the story of Jonah in chapter one when Jonah's in the, in the boat. If you pick up any commentary on Acts you will find them making references to the clear link that Luke is making between Paul and the shipwreck and Jonah. It's very interesting. And finally, 
When you get to Acts 28, the very last chapter, if you just read the very last section of Acts 28, you have this section where you see Paul is very much like Jonah, but has matured a little bit beyond Jonah. So he says this. He, he is in Rome, finally. He calls all the Jews together. Many of them don't, exist, uh, don't accept what he has to say. And he says this. So Acts 28, verse 20, um, he says this. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against, the sect being Christianity. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, for they will listen. So you have this bit right at the end where Paul finally accepts that this isn't being listened to among the Jews. The people to whom it was sent... It's not being listened to. It's taking root among the Gentiles. So he's kind of matured a little bit more than Jonah because he's still not happy about it. He's still reluctant. You know, he's um, he is uh, a, he's reluctantly doing what God has called him to do. Um, but he's doing it a bit less reluctantly than Jonah did. It's not like he's running away from it still like he was earlier on. So that's that's two ways that we see the narrative of Jonah in the book of Acts. You know, this grapple between Jews and Gentiles. Salvation abroad means judgment at home, because as I say, they know that judgment is coming. It's talked about lots of times in the New Testament. It's not because Jonah, uh, it's not because Paul doesn't like the Gentiles, it's because he loves his own people. It's not because Jonah doesn't like Nineveh, it's because he loves his own people. So that's Acts. But I want to look at somewhere a lot more specific now. If we turn up in our Bibles to Romans chapter 9, same person, so it's still Paul, but I want to hear, we're going to look at Paul in his own words rather than Paul in the book of Acts. Um, so now just bear in mind what we looked at in Jonah 4 on Wednesday. Just bear in mind what we saw about Jonah's reaction knowing as he sees Nineveh saved in front of him, that that means judgment back at home. Okay, so this is what Paul says in Romans 9, verses 1 to 5. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. 
To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God um, over all, and blessed forever. Amen. When we open Romans 9, it's come just after Romans 8, where in Romans 8, he's just described God's church, both Jews and Gentiles, as God's elect. Now, this is language that's used to describe Israel. And he's applying it to both Jews and Gentiles. So if he's saying that, he now has to ask himself this question. Uh, okay, then. So if I'm calling the church God's elect, who is Israel? Because I've seen my own people's unfaithfulness and rejection of Christ while, my, while these Gentiles accept him. So he now has to grapple with that question. If you're God's elect, then okay, who is Israel then? And that's, what you, uh, that's why he then goes into Romans 9. Now, what we're doing here is we're reading this last section of Jonah 4 again. So Jonah 4, we saw how he was in anguish. You know, I, I said how I don't think that the word anger is the right translation, how the Greek word is lupain, which is anguish. I, I've realized I've just put the Greek word on the handout without actually putting the English transliteration. So I apologize for that. But um, that's the word lupain. He's in anguish. And Jonah is in anguish over the Israel's coming destruction. And he gives himself a self-malediction. Self he says, I'd rather die, you know, take my life from me now. The same as what Elijah did in 1 Kings 19. Well, when you read Romans 9, what we've just seen is that Paul, too, says he's in unceasing anguish. He uses the same word as Jonah over Israel's present unfaithfulness that he knows will lead to judgment, lead to destruction. And he too then gives a self-malediction. He doesn't say, take my life from me, but he says the equivalent, which is, I myself wish that I were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Now, Wednesday, I said, I'm not sure if Jonah is saying, I want to die for their sake or die because I can't bear them to be punished. If, if Paul is speaking in character as Jonah, then it shows that for Paul, he thinks that Jonah is trying to die in their place, which, which I do think Paul is doing. I think Paul is intentionally mirroring the language of Jonah because he's part of that same story. So Paul is talking in the character of Jonah. He is taking on the personality of Jonah as he sees the same thing. The Gentiles before me are saved. They are repenting. They haven't heard much, but it's enough. Whilst my own people who have had everything else are rejecting it. But there is a huge difference between Paul and Jonah. If you read chapters 9 to 11 of Romans, you find that Paul doesn't see the judgment of Israel as final. And, and what I mean by that is this. If you read Jonah 4, um, if you read it knowing what we've looked at, how it's about Israel, well, when you get to Romans 4 verse, uh, Jonah 4 verse 11, it's a very abrupt end, it, both literarily, so on a kind of literary uh, basis, it's abrupt, but also on a prophetic basis, it's abrupt. It just ends. All the other books have some future hope for Israel, but Jonah doesn't. Jonah just has the death, but no resurrection. Um, he sees Israel's judgment as final. It just ends. Let's, let's, um, 
uh, let me step back a bit and explain what I mean by that. We all kind of recognize this device that's used in any good story known as the three act structure. So take any film, I mean, especially Marvel films, they're, they're really good for this. There's three acts. There's the introduction or the setup where you meet the characters, you kind of get to know the context where they're in. And then you get the complication or the issue or the, the climax. You get to know the confrontation, the problem that they're going to face. And then the third part is what's called the denouement, the resolution, where everything is wound up and sorted. So take any superhero movie. You meet the superhero, you get to know their background, you see how they get their powers. And then some big bad villain that they've never faced before comes along. At first it looks bleak, and then they learn something new about themselves or find something inside. And the resolution is that they finally beat them. Well, you have Acts 1 and 2 in Jonah with Israel. You get to know their unfaithfulness, their, the problem, why Jonah runs. You know the problem that he's running away from, their judgment. But where's the resolution? There isn't any. It ends before you get to the resolution. It's an unfinished story. So in Jonah, we get one and two, but we get no part three. We get no act three. It, and it's the same for Nineveh. So Israel are judged, but it's not like Nineveh then become God's people. I mean, when Israel are destroyed 40 years later, they're destroyed by Assyria. It's not like Nineveh are still faithfully serving God. So that's just how the story ends. Israel is just left to be destroyed. The, the, doesn't, the story doesn't take us anywhere except for judgment. As I say, if you read Hosea, you find after judgment, there's resurrection. After death, resurrection. In Amos, after death, resurrection. But you don't have any resurrection in Jonah. It's just a final judgment. But Romans 9 to 11 give us that missing piece of Jonah. They give us Jonah chapter 5, if you like, the chapter 5 that we don't have in Jonah. They give us Act 3. They finish off the story because the Gentiles have now been brought in as God's people, not tagalongs, but they are part of Israel, whilst the unfaithful members of Israel are now cut off from Israel. So if you read Romans 11, it talks about the unfaithful ones were cut off and the remnant was saved, those who were faithful. So now Israel has been redefined. Israel is not just a, a national commonwealth. It's not a political body. It's the body of Jews and Gentiles who are faithful. So, uh, so Paul gives us, or Romans 9 to 11, give us the solution. They give us Act 3. So I've put on the handout, there's the solution for Israel. The solution for Israel is that the unfaithful are cut off and the faithful are saved. And now Israel is even bigger than it was before because there are so many faithful Gentiles coming in. It says in Romans 11 that there's still time for the unfaithful Jews to be grafted in should they come to faith. The solution for the Gentiles is that the Gentiles don't just become tagalongs, but they become part of Israel. Romans 11 says they have been engrafted into the olive tree. Meanwhile, in Jonah, there's no hope for Israel. Meanwhile, in Jonah, there's no solution for Gentiles. And so in the end, if you look on the handout, Jonah doesn't have an answer for what's going to happen in the end. Jonah cannot give you a solution because it's making the point the old covenant cannot give you a solution to this problem. As long as the old covenant continues like this, 
unfaithfulness is going to abound with no long-term solutions. The whole point of the book of Jonah is to whet our appetite so that we say there must be something more. God can't just be done with them. There's got to be something more. And it's exactly what we get in the new covenant. You know, Romans 11, let me just read this um, verse in Romans 11, verses 25 to 26. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So if you go back through Romans 9 to 11, Paul has now redefined Israel as Jews and Gentiles. And so when he says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved, he's not saying, and in this way, all Jews will be saved, because we can't define Israel as just Jews anymore. We now define them as God's people. So um, that's, that would, that's what I think the function of Jonah is. It was for Old Testament Israel to read it and say, we've got a problem and I don't see how this is going to be fixed. Their judgment is final. The Northern Kingdom never gets rebuilt. Never happens. Even in the New Testament, the Northern Kingdom is not faithfully Jewish. The Northern Kingdom is restored as the whole kingdom is restored by the kingdom of God. We have been brought into God's people as Israel. So, the original question, how does this link in with application? Well, it, it means that we can't use this book as it's often used today. There's no kind of direct application where I can just read this book and now go, okay, well, next time God calls me somewhere, I'm not going to be grumpy about it. It doesn't mean that, as we've seen. Um, that's the same with so many books in the Bible. There's not really many books in the Old Testament that you can pick up and just apply it to your life. I mean, how are you going to apply the book of Ruth, for instance? Are you going to go glean fields more often? Application isn't, shouldn't just be narrowly defined as what can I do differently tomorrow? I mean, I mean, for instance, Jonah had no idea how he was going to apply Deuteronomy 32 until the day that he was called to go to Nineveh. Suddenly, that story now has a lot more relevance for him. Jonah was unapplicable for Paul until Paul became a Christian and sees Gentiles and Jews both being saved whilst the majority of Jews reject it. Suddenly, the book of Jonah is now very relevant to him. Um, we have no idea how useful knowing God's story is until something hits us. And I think it's a, it's a problem with our Western way of thinking, because when I talk about understanding or applying we have two ways generally of thinking. You see on the handout, I've kind of put like a, um, like a scale. And we only tend to think of the two ends of the scale. One of them is it's very logical. So I read the Bible to work what is true or what fits what. So you might call us kind of, you might call those people kind of doctrine people. They want to know what's going on intellectually. The other side, which we go for, is what's ethical. So what can I do differently as a result of this? How am I going to live differently tomorrow? And I would say neither of these are wrong, but they are missing the third place, which unites these two. And that is the narrative. We're not great at slotting ourselves in the middle option. And that middle option is what is the story and where do I fit into it? That's really how we need to read the Bible, not just one or the other, because narrative brings both of those together. If you, most of the Bible 
is ethics and logic communicated through narrative. That's where we need to be. So if you are a Christian or even someone on the borders of the church, this story is hugely relevant for you because 99.9% of us are Gentiles. This salvation wouldn't be offered to us. This inclusion as part of God's people, as part of Israel, wouldn't be offered to us otherwise. I mean, this, this, this notion of Israel and Gentiles being joined together is clearly a big deal because out of a book of 16 chapters, which is all about the gospel, Paul takes three chapters to explain how Jews and Gentiles relate to one another. Paul labors over understanding our relation to Israel as Gentiles. He clearly thinks it's relevant for us to know. So as we wrap it up, I would say that is the application of Jonah. You need to know where you stand. Now, I didn't get to, because I've gone way over time, unfortunately, but I didn't get to uh, looking at Jonah 4 verse 11. But what I would say is we need to think of ourselves both as Nineveh and also not as Nineveh. Nineveh shows that God's heart goes beyond Israel, but it also shows the old covenant was incapable of completing something which now the new covenant has. Nineveh never became part of Israel, but we have. So that's, that is what I'd say is the application of Jonah. Now, going to have to wrap it up there, unfortunately. Um, but one last thing to say before I do finish this series, can't quite believe it, all six parts done, is this is formally the end. I'm, I'm not going to write another episode. I'm not going to write another part. I'm kind of, this is done, but next Wednesday or even maybe next Friday, if people have any questions that they haven't necessarily, they don't feel they've got any answers to, and I recognize there's lots of things in Jonah that we haven't even explored. We haven't even looked at the whale, for instance, or the big fish. So if I get questions, then I will do a live stream on Friday to just go through some of those questions. Otherwise, this is it. So if you have any questions, send them my way and we'll do it on Friday. Otherwise, thank you so much for being a part of this study. I hope you've really enjoyed it. I hope you found it really enriching and you've engaged with the scriptures. So thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed doing it. Cheers, guys.